this doesn't happen without having your engineering data, your ERP working in sync with your website right. This all has to work right because when we talk about this, we're talking about speed, ease of customer. If you have to turn around and, and rekey, re-engineer every time an order is placed, you just wasted tons of time and money that your customer doesn't want to pay for. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm, Elevate IQ. The journey of e-commerce requires you to think about your processes starting from your sales to production. While selling online is a big part of it, that's not the only component of e-commerce. In fact, you don't need to always pay online with e-commerce, especially with B2B businesses with complex products. With such companies, the major component of digital commerce requires enabling online coating. The online coating processes include configurable products in the self-serve mode while supporting tiered pricing and account management through web. In today's episode, we invited an expert panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise with coating strategies and how they can benefit different businesses. We also discussed which products are the right fit for e-commerce and coating and which ones could be overkill. Finally, we discussed the process of how to start on the journey of online coating, starting from product modeling, conversion-centric service-based offerings to configurable products, their implementation and iteration. With that, Let's get to the conversation. Welcome, everybody, to today's show. Today, we are going to be talking about quotation or quoting strategies. It is also sometimes referred as the CPQ process in the e-commerce and ERP world. And we have a very exciting panel today. Steve, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Steve Rice from SR Consulting and .com Jungle. I work as a trusted advisor to consumer products, goods, um, owners, company owners, and executives. And with Dotcom Jungle, that's my technology arm. And we help those same CPG companies make and implement wise technology choices. Amazing. Thank you so much, Steve, for that introduction. Dave, do you want to go next with your introduction? Of course. Thank you, Sam. I am Dave Meyer of BusyWeb. BusyWeb has been around for 22 years now, and we focus on the manufacturing industry in B2B and getting marketing, helping them drive, helping folks drive leads, drive results, drive processes. And uh, in addition to running BusyWeb, I also am a speaker and trainer for Google, HubSpot, and I'm on the circuit as much as I can, which is amazing because I just found out that my first in-person gig is going to be in August. So I'm going to be in front of a real audience again. I'm super excited. Okay. I'm super excited for those in-person gigs as well. Thank you so much for that intro. Damon, do you want to introduce yourself? All right. Thanks, Sam. 
Damon Postalka, exit your way. What we do is we help business owners create businesses that they can actually sell or succeed. Primarily, we're working with manufacturing e-commerce or construction and construction services related businesses. We work in the e-commerce space. We are typically working with the people like you see on the screen here to help get their business from legacy into the, the current state. So they're attractive to buyers making more money today and, and when they're ready to sell them tomorrow. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Damon, for that introduction. Eric, do you want to introduce yourself next? Yes. Hello. I'm Eric Landman. I'm the e-commerce division manager of Earthling Interactive. We're a mid-size web development agency, about 20 to 25 employees. Uh, sites we build are usually multi-domain, multi-brand, uh, rather large, complex sites, but not always. About half of our customers are B2C and about the other half are B2B of all different industries. We're not a vertical integrator, so we build all kinds of different sites. And I've been, I'm a Magento certified solution specialist. I've been working with Magento since version 1.4, which is, I don't know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, a long, long time ago. There were computers back then. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much. Eric, for that intro. And now, just to set the stage, we are going to ask Damon to describe the processes from the coding perspective. So, Damon, in your experience, obviously, coding is going to be slightly more relevant for the B2B businesses. But let's say if the businesses that might not be familiar with the importance of coding and why they should be incorporating these processes on e-commerce, can you touch on some of the business benefits and some of the processes? that you have seen in your experience as far as the coding goes on e-commerce? Well, it's it's simply looking at the buyer demographics, right? I yep. mean, I talk about this a lot. When you when you look at it, what is it? 60, 70% of the workforce now grew up in Google. They're used to buying on Amazon. They're used to buying like that. And when you're when you're a B2B manufacturer or it doesn't really matter what you're in, but you're in B2B, right? And you're used to having salespeople going out and making sales calls. I'll bet those sales calls are getting less and less effective as, as the days move on because the buyer's demographics are changing. This is the underlying thing that you can talk about a lot of things, but when it comes back to it is the buyer demographics that are changing. People want to be able to get much farther down the sales process online learning about you, about your products, even through the quote process before they do business with you. And and what we see in the businesses when we're helping a manufacturing business that typically could have been, I have to have an engineer that reaches out to you and they talk about specifications and, and then they get a quote. Now the businesses that have thought, ahead and use people like what uh, Eric would do or, or maybe even what Steve would do and, and some of the other places and, and or Dave and you're building these solutions that allow them to go on and custom configure a quote that gives them what they want online and I it, you can look at things like cable assemblies and and even machine custom machine product and other things where people are getting really creative about building their own configurators online to provide custom quotes, engineering drawings, everything. Those people are winning because those engineers can then, or the people buying, whoever it is, can go on, get a quote for the product they need, then they can talk about it. That's so, the buyer demographics is just, is driving that need. Yeah, you are so right. And I was actually talking to one of the podcast guests and I think his name is Howard, and I don't know if I can do his last name. He is one of the bestseller uh, for his book. Okay, and he was talking about incorporating this uh, whole customer data and customer journey. And when we see some of the other industries, for example, let's say if you look at you know banking, telecom, 
they have their buyer journey completely mapped out yeah. they have the customer feedback incorporated as part of their product life cycle and that's how they sort of innovate in their product but when i look at manufacturing demon i would say 80% of the manufacturers are still doing their coating and the sales process uh, especially when we talk about these complex products and b2b manufacturers they are still doing very paper based coating mm-hmm. process and one of the key piece that you are going to miss is going to be that insight that you get because of the customer interaction when the customer is going to go and they are going to click on your website for the first time they are going to make some touches on the website and finally they are probably going to place a code and they might have let's say 10 different rounds and finally they might place an order so all of these data points you don't really have that in the manual process but mm-hmm. when we look at the manufacturer when we talk to manufacturers especially in my experience they just don't seem to get how their coating processes can be mapped out online how their coating processes can be mapped on over web so in your opinion when we look at some of the manufacturing products are can all manufacturers map their processes over web or are there any products that might not be fit for e-commerce i think if you're creative enough you can make it work i mean i i really i do and the, the other guys here can can weigh into it but yeah i i think there's so many untapped things that we that my mind hasn't even conceived that when when i talk to people that do this every day yeah there's solutions to it yeah so now dave i'm actually going to move to you right because you look at this from uh from google perspective from the seo perspective and i was actually having this conversation with a marketer and they were like you know what i really sell very expensive equipments and they cannot be really mapped over web and that was a shock for me and that is because coming from a marketing agency from a marketer so in your opinion do you see some of these products which are going to be let's say slightly more expensive they may have very high tech sales process do you believe that they can be mapped over web and a company should be thinking about mapping over web and companies should be thinking about e-commerce or not absolutely they should be thinking about how to incorporate and how to remove the friction okay. at every stage in their buyer's journey so one of the big things that you're going to have especially in large complex sales and b2b sales is that people have a lot of answers that they need to find on average the b2b world will click up to 80 times before they actually click contact yeah. or before they try to complete a sale right so once we get into the quotation tool or once we get into that option that's after 80 clicks so you need to have a lot of content that backs up that answers questions that handles objections in the sales process that warms people up and then the cool thing about having online quotation strategies and the ability to do that is that you can automate that if someone fills out a quote you can automatically send them a follow up message that says i'm going to need a little bit more information on that or thank you for submitting and you can progressively lower the bar so that it's as easy as possible for people to take the first step with you after they've already walked down the path it's much much easier to keep them going and it's 10 times easier to make another sale from an existing customer than it is to find a brand new sale from someone that you've never talked to before. So it's all about reducing friction, lowering the bar, making it easier for people to work with you, and it all comes down to having that ability and the capability to automate and reset as much as possible. Yeah, cannot agree more the kind of speed you are going to have the 
less friction you are going to have in the process and most importantly, the data that you are going to get that is definitely not possible in case of your manual processes and uh, when you are not going to be mapped over web. So Eric, now I'm actually going to move to you. So in your experience, have you done any project where you felt that it was a stretch going over web or going over e-commerce in any of the product category? Or do you always feel comfortable whenever anything comes to you? You always feel comfortable that every product category out there should have some sort of e-commerce component. Well, two examples come to mind. We've got a customer who is a, uh, they sell bike racks. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of configurable options, including colors and paints and finishes. But it's not infinite. It's not, I mean, you know, one product may have 30 or 40 iterations. We are just working on installing a 3D configurator for that. But we discovered that the products weren't set up correctly so that all the thumbnails come through. So to Damon's point, yeah, I mean, many things can be done. Quite a lot of things can be done. But you sometimes run into situations where, oh, wow, we didn't realize it was going to be that much work. Actually, I'm shocked by the amount of times I say that. So that that is one possibility. It looks really slick and it, it's really cool. And the client can get this configured product in a quotation. The quotation goes into their quotation system. Then they can reply. And these are large items with all of them take. There's not standard shipping because they're heavy and big. You know, think of a bike rack in front of a hotel or something like that. You know, the things are huge. So they have the quote is presented to the administrator and they have their opportunity to upcharge it or mark it down or add custom custom shipping. But also to Dave's and, and Damon's points, this does allow pretty seamless flow of information from the customer to the administrator who then can update it and, they, and it gets presented back to the customer in an email with a PDF attached and certain pieces of that then get pushed into the ERP system, which is kind of closing the loop. That might be through HubSpot or directly to the ERP system or whatever sort of integration you, you got there. So there's, there's really two chunks there. One is removing the friction with the customer. Second is, okay, you can install a quote system on your website, but okay, then what? I mean, you don't want to rekey everything, right, in your ERP system. So you've got to have, somehow you've got to have a, a link into the ERP system using really non-technical terms there. So that's that's thing one. Thing two is, and that, that was a B2B site principally. Thing two is a whole other user experience. We've got a customer who we are working on a guided purchase kind of solution, which is much more of a consumer thing. Yep. This is for sailboards. So you think of a somebody who wants to get into sailboards and they go, well, I don't know, there's like 300 kinds of sailboards to buy. I have no clue what I want to buy here. So they can actually log on, get get an actual live person. So to your, your point, Damon and Dave, this the, you, they hook into what the user is interested in seeing and talk to them and they can see what's going on. They walk them through the process of selections with a number of questions and kind of feel them out and then they configure a product or a package for them. So that's that's a much higher touch, but it's also a higher value product, anywhere from a thousand to three thousand dollars they're spending. So, you know, they're not going and buying a pair of roller skates, they're spending a fair bit of money. So those those are two really different solutions. And actually, that system that I was talking about, that configurator, the second thing, they could get a quote at the end of that and get and email it, and then they have something to, the, the vendor has something to follow up with the customer on. Uh, and that follow-up 
is statistically, I'm sure Dave would know the number, very high response rate in terms of turning over those quotes into sales, really high, kind of like an abandoned cart sort of program, similar. Okay. That was a big exposition. Somebody else. I love it. I love it. And and I don't, I don't have a good number, unfortunately, but I know that it's way easier if a customer feels like they're in conversation and they've got their answers met and, and they know what they know you can answer that so that it goes in. And is, is it bad that I'm so into B2B that, and, and into sales that I thought you were talking about like a whiteboard that you would take along from, (laughs) from customer to customer when you talked about sale boards? Like, oh, no, no, (laughs) wet water thing. Okay. Thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, Eric, one real quick. Eric brings up a great point. This doesn't happen without having your engineering data, your ERP working in sync with your website right. This all has to work right because when we, right. when we talk about this, we're talking about speed, ease of customer. If, if you have to turn around and, and rekey, re-engineer every time an order is placed, you just wasted tons of time and money that your customer doesn't want to pay for. I mean, when when you get that seamless, so they can order online, it goes to the production floor and gets made. That you just you've cut days, probably even weeks out of the process. Yeah, and to that point too, everybody's probably aware there's a just there's just a personnel shortage, like in all throughout the industries. So the administrators are just they're up to their necks with work. They, the last thing they need is more work. So if you can build a system that makes this relatively seamless for them. That's going to be a big win for them, for sure. Yeah, completely agree on all of the points that you mentioned, Eric, especially the guided purchase. Uh, you know, that actually enhances the experience significantly. And to Damon, mm-hmm. your point, uh, if your systems are not going to be connected, then the experience is really not going to be as smooth. So it's really important that your pricing is sort of connected. You cannot really have fake price in your e-commerce and you cannot have your customers commit to the product when you cannot really deliver. And if you have those scenarios, then obviously your experience is going to suffer. So thank you so much for those thoughts. Steve, in your world, in the outdoor retail world, I don't know if you see a lot of quoting requirements have you seen any strategies that work in your space? Do you want to touch on what you have heard so far in the conversation? Yeah, I think um, uh, between Dave and Eric and Damon, uh, they've each brought different aspects of it together. So I feel like I'm just sort of standing on the shoulders of giants with what I'm about to say. You know, but I think bringing, bringing it all together at, at its most basic, a quotation system is nothing more than well, it's, it's a bunch of things, but it's nothing more than a shopping cart without prices to some extent. But it's also the beginning of a negotiation, even if it has pricing in it. And it's also a question of customer experience, what you know, your customer is going to have. And it's a, a question of your user experience of your salespeople. It's a form. It's a lead gen tool. It's a sales tool. It's a shopping cart. And it's also a design and UX play. Because you can you can visualize it in so many ways, and to, to give you an example, we have a client who sells like a thirty five thousand dollars CNC machine, and there's some modifications and configurations you can do that would change the price up or down five or ten thousand dollars. And the original conceptualization of this, because it's a B two B machine, you wouldn't sell it to a consumer, but it's also from a company that sells a ton of B two C products that are very similar that only cost. 60 to $200, right? But when they were first thinking about this, 
they were thinking, well, we don't need a configurator like that for our clients because they all know us, right? And they're going to call us. And what was actually true is when we actually started thinking about the ROI, the ROI didn't come from the customers being able to use it, although every once in a while they did. What happened is that we, we started talking to other teams like the German sales team and uh, the Canadian sales team and actually the American sales team, the people who are actually at the trade shows, and realized pretty quick that while they were coming to us saying, we need this configurator for our customers, we realized the ROI was in making that a configurator for the sales team. You know, so in, in the end, it was a quotation system that was, you know, the, one of the questions you asked Sam to back up is should, should anything and everything be able to be quoted? And I would say yes. Um, I think all three of the other guys already said that. Start with yes. And you'll find things like this where the ROI came from the fact that the sales guys could do their job and get a quote and they could even change the pricing on it depending on their, the level of uh, access they had, and, you know, whether they were executive director of sales or something. And they could use that as a negotiating tool. So once again, the ROI ended up being because the sales guys all of a sudden had a tool that was so easy to use. They weren't having to explain what widget A and widget B were and where they fit on the machine because the guys could actually look at it live at a trade show, configure it, and say, there you go. Yeah, could not agree more. And in fact, I mean, see, Dave, I'm probably going to be speaking your language here. When you talk about your real market, it's not really your network. Your network is going to be limited by your connections. But if you really want to tap into your actual market, you really need to tap into Google. Google is where your total market is, which is going to be far bigger than your personal network or word of mouth that you might be getting at this point of time. Once you go to Google, then you will know how many surprises you are going to get in your business who didn't know that you existed. So again, unless you make that journey, unless you make that uh, that shift, you are not going to know that. So one of the challenges that I personally face when I talk to the businesses that are either not sure how to map this into e-commerce, just because it could be one of one of the challenges that I typically see is going to be recognition problem that, you know what, I don't really understand whether my business is the right fit for e-commerce or not. And I am talking about some of these very heavy engineering shops. And some of those shops could be, let's say, you talk about the print shops, you know, each of the jobs, they might think that, you know what, I don't even have a product. For me, even though I'm delivering a physical product, it's almost like a service. Because for each of the jobs I'm doing, each of those jobs are going to be unique. Okay. But if you think about it, even those can be productized in my mind, the way I like to think. In my mind, everything can be sort of follow the template. Everything can have some sort of configurations and you can map out the whole process even if your jobs are going to be very unique and no two jobs are going to be same in your shop so guys i want you guys to touch on the key strategies the objective of this session is to coach executives okay what do i need to do if i'm the manufacturing executive number one to identify whether my products are going to be right right number two how can i start on my journey so those are the answers I'm looking from you guys. So Damon, I am going to start with you. Let's say if I'm the very heavy engineering shop and I need to productize my service offerings, what am I doing in terms of identifying, okay, what is going to be my product model? What are going to be my attributes that I need to map from the business perspective? And then we will get into slightly more technical aspect of the problem. Yeah, I think this is, I think about this a lot, right? Because yeah. 
I did this years ago before e-commerce was really popular in, in a company, and I'll, I'll explain it really quickly. We made checkout counters for grocery stores. If you've been in a grocery store, you've probably seen one of them we made. Well, this is a 50-year-old company. It grew up before 3D modeling and all that kind of stuff. So we went through the process where we made our basically commonality across all the product lines, redesigned all the product lines so they were configurable. When you think of example like your print company, it starts with the base material and works its way through what are we doing to this material, right? Are we cutting, printing, whatever we're doing? You, you just have to recreate and not just, it's not easy as Eric brought, there's a lot of engineering and other hassle of things you're gonna have to work with behind it, but start with your process and how you would build something and think about how you can do that electronically and, and aggregate your costs to each step in the process. And I, I truly believe you can do this with custom machining. You can do this with fabricated metal. You can do this with a lot of different things. You just have to start from that basic premise. Yeah, I completely agree. Even the most service-based business can be productized. It's all about to find those common attributes, find the refined target market, find the ideal customer profile. And once you have all of that, then your product mapping is going to be easier. So now let's dive into the details. And I don't know, Steve, I want to start with you because you bring that you know business plus your technical background. So do you want to touch into how you would help the manufacturing executive in mapping these processes when they are starting on the configuration journey? One of the answers is I would skip doing that with the executive. I would actually talk to the executive about the different ways you'd go about doing this and what your options are, because some are really expensive and you might not get ROI from it, right? And sometimes it's better to test drive something that's really inexpensive, but not as feature rich in order to prove the concept. And we've done that a lot. So that that's actually where I would start. And I see everybody here sort of nodding their head because in spite of the fact that we make a living doing this, we actually want our clients to make more money, not less. And we want them to be profitable. So I, I would rather start out proving the concept first and helping them work through that situation so that they have confidence in saying, being able to actually apply an ROI value to a bigger project if they need it, right? And that's assuming that we're also talking about a configurator here. It doesn't have to be a configurator, though. I, I do have a client that sells, uh, you know, about 30 products, but has like a thousand parts. And the customers don't get to see the parts, but they do get to place orders where their prices change. And the first time they do that, they don't get to see any pricing. And on the back end, an order comes through with for nothing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the salesperson gets to then call them up and say, see, this is what you did. Our value, uh, you know, here's our price breaks. If, you know, you were at an $18,000 order, if you go to 20, then I can get you uh, 5% 60 terms, something like that. And that's that negotiation process. So I guess to get back to your question, where do, where do I start? I would be asking them, what is it your customer is actually trying to do? Yeah. And I'd be thinking about those attribute sets and, um, and frankly, it's a lot easier if you don't have a configurator to, because like I said before, if you're just selling things, you just have to customize the back end or click a couple buttons to turn off pricing. And then you have to have a talk with your EDI folks and the ERP folks, because they usually don't like products that come through for zero dollars. Figure that out. But, but for the most part, you're talking about setting up a system where someone can place orders for nothing and then someone else can call them back. So when you get into the configurations, then you're talking about let's map out those attributes first. People forget that 
attributes are not a function of products. It's actually the other way around. Create a shirt and then create small, medium, large, extra large, blue, red, green. You create the attributes first for an entire category of products, whether it's in Magento or WordPress, Big Commerce, and any other ones. You the attribute sets are separate. You, you build those first. That's the conceptualization of the types of products you're going to apply to it. So you map that out and then find out what the customer wants. Yeah, you are so right uh, with respect to your comment about the product filters. This all ties together. And in fact, one of your comments about the thousand attributes, if you have thousand attributes, let's say if you're trying to design a machine, your salespeople are never asking thousand questions to the customer or they are going to feel overwhelmed. They are probably asking three or four questions and those are the only things that are going to vary across the orders. So you really have two or three different variables across the orders. Other things you don't really have to expose to your customers. So the more you simplify your sales process, the easier it is going to be for customers to be able to understand, to be able to grasp. So that's why the entire customer journey, the product filters, the product modeling, everything actually ties together. So great commentary there. Thank you so much, Steve, for that. Eric. Now I want to move to you. Do you have any comments? Overall, I don't know if you're going to have any stories where you felt that the product model was not necessarily aligned with the filter or the customers really struggled in designing the product filters or maybe they were just doing too much. Do you have any stories there or comments? Yeah, oh, I have stories. Let's see. First of all, I should say that a full-blown configurator is a a pretty heavy lift. It's a lot of work. You've got to get a number of different teams going. We generally use the concept of minimum viable product. What that means is get something to market that works for a subset of your products, maybe a large subset, maybe a small subset. But the point is you get something out there and, and just sort of test fly it and see how well it works. It doesn't have to have absolutely every combination of every other gizmo and thing you bolt onto it because that can be handled later. So this sort of ties into your comment, Sam, and um, somebody else said this also, that there's really just a handful of attributes that's that are critical. I was looking at a site for CNC machining yesterday, and they have, I don't know, 30 or 40 models. But really, if you start to analyze it, there's maybe about 10 different attributes and there's about five of those attributes that are broken into big categories. So if you're a prospective customer, they should know at least those five things to be able to get a quote on this particular unit. And then then it, if they do the quote, it gets kicked over to the administrators and the sales staff, and then they can finish the job with saying, oh, well, you, you didn't, you, you, maybe you didn't think about this stage that you need or, or spare parts kit or blades or you know, whatever other sort of stuff that they really do need or will need six months after they bought it. They might as well get it now. So that was one thought. The minimum viable product actually can be, usually can be tied into existing e-commerce sites and databases, unless your site is really set up wrong. You know, if you have four or five products, or sorry, four or five attributes, that can be that can be relatively painless to um, install a quotation system that will accommodate that. Yeah, so I'm probably going to have a clarifying question there, Eric, for you. And so let's say if the manufacturers are not really familiar with what, you know, how minimum viable product is going to be relevant for mm-hmm. them, can you describe a little bit more in terms of what they are looking at when they are thinking about minimum viable product as far as the quoting strategies go? Sure. Um, let's take an example like that bike rack. You could buy customized bike racks. I think they make them. 
but uh, you have to start with a base shape of a unit. Maybe it's U-shaped or it's tree-shaped or it's a wall unit or something like that. So that's one attribute. You want the number of bikes or maybe you need a, maybe you're setting up a, a hospital or a fitness facility where you know, okay, I've got 85 linear feet. How many bikes go into that, that space? So you can figure out how many of these units you need and how, how many racks or how many bikes per rack go into that. So that's a second attribute. Then you can make a determination about what style of bike rack you want. Uh, there's lots of different styles of bike racks. It's U-shaped or V-shaped or tree or whatever kind of shape you want. Or there's even custom shapes. They can fabricate custom shapes too. Like suppose you want your uh, in a high-end corporate park, you could have your logo put on, on the on the bike racks too. That would be a separate thing though. So yes, and, and then you have, of course, color and style and gauge of steel and the ma- the manner in which it's fastened to the cement. Is it embedded in the cement or is it bolted in or those? So really I've talked about, there's only like four attributes right there we're talking about. And yet there, there's lots of other things like powder coating or colors or tool sets that you can add on. Those are, those are add-ons. So, so the base products is about four or five attributes. The fun part about this, and Eric, you, know, you, you hit on something that, that I want to raise up. I think if you're talking to your sales team, they will probably tell you what those first questions are in your quoting process, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. a good salesperson, and part of having a great quoting system is to make your sales process repeatable yeah. across a massive scale. So asking your sales team, what are the first questions that you ask and what are the needs that they have? It might be all the way back to who is making the purchase right now or who yeah. is visiting. You know, are you a low level? Are you an engineer? Are you someone that's right on the line? Are you trying to figure out exact specs? Are you trying to look at, at qualifications? Are you a executive trying to make a more broad ranging and all encompassing decision and how all that stuff meets in? Right. So a good sales process and a good quoting system is going to ask those same questions. And I'm probably blurring the lines between product-focused quoting versus service-focused quoting here a little bit. But as you think about what, in my case, most of the most of the people that I work with are service-related, and so you know, as as you look at who I'm trying to meet or who I'm trying to meet the need for, then you get into the next step of, okay, well, here's the questions that they're going to ask, and letting them check that is going to set them down a path. And a good quoting system, if you build the information architecture right, will feel like a natural conversation that a sales mm-hmm. staff is having because because if you say, okay, well, I do need this technical part, you're going to get the technical answers or the more technical questions, right? So within three or four clicks, you should be able to get right to the heart of what that customer is looking for in a well-designed system. And if you look at the decision tree, it's easy to have people go down that way. But that way, it feels like a conversation that's engaging, that's helpful. You know, I have clients that we build website for that have, you know, they, they build massive amounts of SKUs of different kinds of commercial windows, right? So the low E, the acoustical, the content, am I an engineer looking to build in? Am I a contractor trying to fit a need? Am I building existing space or is it new construction? You know, it goes all the way through that. But inside of those three questions, it should get you right to the point. That's where having a great system can roll a lot of that need all the way down. If I already have a relationship with people, right? So if I'm in an ERP 
I already know who Bob Smith is. I can actually say, okay, Bob, well, we know that you're in the commercial space. And so we're giving you more information and details. So you you can actually bridge that down and build lots, lots, lots more opportunity and a lot more power in your sales process by just thinking about all the possible permutations of if then kind of conversations. Yeah. So Dave, you bring a very important point there. In fact, I mean, I don't think you are blending the lines between the product and service business. In fact, that was probably going to be my next question for all of you. And that was going to be so far, the quoting processes that we have analyzed, they were really from the product perspective. But when you look at the quoting processes, they are far deeper when you think about the sales alignment, the sales process alignment, the sales team alignment, the pricing strategies. If you look at some of these regulated industries, they are going to have very specific process where you can sell a product in a specific country, but you cannot sell in the other one, or you can sell in one city, or maybe you cannot sell in the other one. The same thing goes for pricing as well. Your pricing is going to be very configurable when you have variables such as cities or states, the way you want to drive your pricing. So looking at all of this, I wanted to ask if you guys have any stories of the coding processes where you had to let's say, configure the pricing and you had significant benefits in configuring those pricing in the configurator or in the coding strategies. So I'm actually going to start with you, Steve. You haven't spoken for a while. So do you have any thoughts overall in terms of the territory alignment where because of the configurator or because of the coding strategies, the overall sales organization was slightly more smooth the way Dave was describing. So I'm talking about overall pricing strategy. When you think of coding, there is significant component of pricing that goes along with your quoting strategies. So do you have any any uh, stories around these strategies in which you have implemented, let's say, pricing or you have had significant benefits because of either the pricing alignment or the territory alignment? Some of the uh, more interesting success stories were just coming into companies that their pricing strategy was whatever the sales guy said in Virginia on a Thursday after three o'clock. And, uh, and so they didn't actually have a national or an international pricing strategy yep. for all their B2B businesses. And, uh, that's just sort of insanity from a business model standpoint. And, and it also just eroded their margin and a lot to the point where we, we did an analysis and their profit margin for the year was literally the same dollar amount as their UPS rebate. So uh, technically, you know, we joked, you didn't make any money, but UPS gave you something at the end of the year as a, as a thank you gift. But, you know, when if you're going to have a, a B2B business, you have to have a pricing strategy that is solid, that your sales reps can follow, that doesn't change, you know, willy nilly. You can certainly have different prices in different regions based on something. I, I've not quite been in a situation where that occurred for our clients outside of exchange rates and international in Canada. But the goal of the companies that we like to work with, we like to work with companies that aren't just selling commodities. So we're concerned about quality and price and maintaining margin. And because maintaining margin means you have a healthier business, you get to pay employees better, get to take longer vacations and go to the nicer places as the owner. And, uh, and if you're providing a value to the consumer, they're basically saying to you, I think you're providing a great value. That's why I'm going to give you your money. It's the Apple model. So getting back to the B2B model, You've got to have a model that actually encourages your retailers to sell more, resellers, I should say, and to make more doing it. So if they, if, if they're on average spending 17,000 a month, you want to 
say to yourself, how do I get them to go to 20? Well, give them an extra half a point or 15 days to pay and they make more money and you make more money. And especially outdoor retail world, especially in the clothing manufacturers, the ones who can pop their products into the 60% margin area or 55% margin area, those are the ones that retailers like sort of pop up like prairie dogs and say, oh, can I get some of that? Because they're tired of making 48 to 50% margin on stuff they sell. If they can make 55 or 60, why not? That's that's money that goes right into the owner's pocket. Thank you so much, Steve, for that. Uh, Damon, I'm pretty sure you are going to have a bunch of stories there. Do you want to share any stories around pricing strategies where you have seen some creating creative pricing because of the digital enablement? Well, Steve touched on the one thing that I think it, it gives you. It gives you structure. Yeah. And, and because any sort of pricing strategy that doesn't have a at least a, uh, and I hate to use the word mathematical background to it where you're building up a cost of some sort figuring out the margins you want to do or understanding your pricing relative to the market and that even has a mathematical background to it is going to is is chaos and you will do what you're going to do because it's a race to the bottom because everybody thinks you can sell more by selling for less price and that's not the case i i just think that the the structure you can give it you take out the you take out the human error factor that's the one thing because we all make mistakes and and you provide that consistency like steve said what how cool would it be to be able to sell a cold weather jacket in Alaska for a little bit more money than it's, than you do in, in say, Colorado because my shipping cost is a little more or even just take away shipping costs is because it's more valuable in that part of the world. That Not that you're taking advantage of people, but if it's really more valuable in that part of the world because of this reason or that, you can do that and you can take advantage of that. Whereas without some sort of system, how can you really put, put a structure behind that? And I think that's that's the thing that's nice, and and it just saves that human error factor. Because we've all, I I don't think there's one of us on the call that hasn't been in a business where somebody has misquoted something, yeah. and you've lost a lot of money. And all the best web systems and ERP systems support this idea. That we're basically talking about user groups or buying groups inside a database. You know, whether it's Magento, or WordPress, or Big Commerce, or Shopify, you can create a shopping group and say all the people in this group get this discount, and you can have other layered discounts and say, if they spend this much, they get an additional discount. What, once you have that systematically set up and decided how you're going to get your margin and how you're going to give margin to your resellers, then popping them into the system, it's just a simple question of saying, well, are you in group A, B, C, or D? Oh, you're C, good. Now you can just place stuff on the line and we don't have to talk to you anymore. Not that you don't, because a good, good quality company will talk to them still, but you want to make it as easy as possible. Systems are there to do it for you. If you're not setting it up, then you're literally just throwing money away. There's the concept of buyer groups. And then within those buyer groups, you can have tiered pricing is the other actual term for it. Yeah. And how those prospects are assigned to those groups could be geographic, could be by sales rep territory. Uh, we've got a customer who sells industrial equipment and some of their territories are in texas well they have about six different territories in texas because there's a number of large metro areas but then there's all the rest of texas which you know geckos and lizards and snakes and not much else <laughs> so pricing there is more expensive unless you're in houston then it's a better deal uh, so you have those two concepts and then in a quotation system if if management so chooses 
you have the additional level of discounting or upcharging a particular individual quotation. So you actually have three different places you can modify that pricing. So a lot of control there. Yeah. Demon, you had a comment there? Well, I was just, Eric covered it very well. I think it gives you the opportunity to reward your best customers by offering additional discounts if they spend more money with you on a monthly, annual basis, whatever you want. And then also the upcharge is what people miss all the time because you have customers on very expensive products will pay a significant upcharge if they can cut lead times. And if you have the capacity on the back end to do that, you can you can make a lot of margin money by doing that. And the system can be set up to do it automatically. Could not agree more the kind of data, the analytics that you are going to get from uh, digitally enabling this and then finally figuring out the pricing and discounts, uh, you can be so creative. So now I am actually going to move the discussion towards a little bit more B2B side, okay? So I know that we have discussed a lot of different products, but they were slightly more consumer focused. So when we uh, look at the, the clothing example, right, that was slightly consumer focused. Bicycle shop, okay, again, in my mind, I think that's slightly more consumer focused. I am going to ask you traditional machine shop, okay? If I have the machine shop and there are going to be at least 5,000 business, and I don't know how many of them are really the e-commerce enabled. Uh, Damon, you need to really provide me the data. I can almost guarantee that, you know, there's not going to be a probably five or 10 machine shops that are actually doing the real e-commerce. Now, number one, what are the barriers that they just don't see themselves as the e-commerce candidate? Why do they not see themselves as the e-commerce candidate? That is number one. And number two, how can they start on the journey? Because they are really behind in my mind. That's a Damon? good question. That's yeah. a good question because I, I it's and one, like I said at the beginning, I've thought about this a lot. I think there's some there's some simple things that a machine shop can do to and I and I like the idea that I think it was Steve brought up that someone could actually generate a quote with a zero price and then the salesperson would call that it might have to be a hybrid kind of system like that if there are certain things that happen but you you cover the machining industry i have to believe there's a way to develop at least a rudimentary quoting system based on you know material what you're doing the, all the and, and, or even uploading a three three dimensional model with the with the software that's available now to you know give you an analysis of what it will take to machine that and just some factor on that to give them a quote to talk about and Dave brought it up and, and and the other three all of you guys brought it up on here there is to be a way to do it i just think that they have to be willing to step outside of the box a little bit and probably into the next room and the room beyond that and really think about how much better would it make their their customer journey if they could get to that pro point in the process without talking to anybody and on their own their own pace you know, I, I think the the funny thing that you mentioned, Sam, is you know a, a manufacturing or a, a a milling kind of company. We we signed we signed a CNC company last week, and guys, you have a quoting tool on your website right now. You have it under Contact Us. It's a form, right? Yep. So add a couple new things to that form. Start like Eric said, yep. make baby steps, do small things, add new content, add new limits limiters add new questions as you go as you go on through it think about who your customer is think about what their needs are and have that go from there you know one of the one of the hard parts that manufacturers tend to have is they are very much in the see a need fill a need world right i make you know metal rods for whatever right so 
thinking a little bit back outside in the business process that's beyond that I do thing for need is very difficult for those folks. But once they see the benefit of all you need to do is ask the right question and it doesn't have to be a world beating system that you that's going to cost tens of thousands or millions of dollars to build. But you do have to start down the process. You do have to take the first step. And that baby step might be on a WordPress website. And that's easy. And you just have to get moving and then commit to continual small improvement, ideally after having great conversations with your sales team to make sure that you're asking and replicating what your best salespeople are doing. Okay, amazing. So Eric and uh, Steve, I don't know if you are going to have any comment related to machine shop. If not, I am going to have next question related to serving multiple industries from the machine shop perspective. Do you guys have any comment or stories, Eric or Steve? Two thoughts. First of all, at some point, somebody, probably the director of sales or, or somebody like that, is going to notice that, hey, our competitors are doing this yeah. <laughs> at some level. So they're going to have to do something. The other, the other concept is a quotation system is, in its very essence, a lead generation system. You're collecting some a prospect who's interested in your products. Do whatever the hell you can to get that lead generation in. I don't care if you, you know, give away a free toaster or whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, you know, make a minimum viable product. It can be just a form with a few things, some simple inquiry, or, or it can be much more complex if you're set up that way and you have the budget for that or, and you have the need. But get the requests in there and get it, get it rolling. Then things will start to the lights will start to go off. You go, wow, how, how can we improve this? This is kind of cool. Yeah, and I would add to that, Eric, um, as a specific example, I do have a, a client that, you know, industrial machine shop style, and they had, uh, when we met him, a form, and they thought they were doing customers a favor, air quotes, by trying to qualify them with the form. And so they pretty much had, I think, um, zero people fill out the form. And I'm not being hyperbolic. It was never used. And we, we just kind of chuckled. We said, look, we're going to replace that form with first name, email, and see what happens. And they started getting like three a week, right? So all of a sudden, they had a simple lead form for their, their customers. And the most important thing they could do is call them anyway. They didn't need to, to uh, pre-qualify them with a bunch of basically unnecessary questions on the front end. So agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, could not agree more. In fact, I mean, see, we see that in our space as well. The more open you are, if you are going to make it too complicated, nobody is going to fill it. And then you are going to complain that, you know, things don't work. Things don't work because you are not making them easier. So if you are implementing, let's say, coding tool, coding tool, it's just an uh, give them an idea. OK, how much this is going to cost? And they can always call you if they really like what you have presented on the website. Obviously, they are going to call you just because nobody else is providing the information that you have provided. So Dave, I'm actually going to move to you in terms of mapping the customer journey for the different industry. So let's say if I look at the average machine shop, they are typically serving aerospace, they are serving automotive, they are serving many different industries, and the product is going to be slightly different when they go across these industries. In the traditional sense, obviously, they are going to get a call. They are going to get an email from all of these manufacturers who are looking for the parts. And now we are asking them to go to web, which is slightly trickier. Obviously, their experience is going to be greater, but that transition could be slightly more difficult. So let's say if I were to ask you to, to map these customer journeys, how would you start mapping out and how would you start this transition process where right now they are simply emailing you, but now you need to go to the, the website 
and you need to interact there. For sure. Mapping the customer journey usually comes down to a couple of key things. First, it's looking at your numbers. So where are you making the most sales? What are your most profitable products? What are the easiest things? And what are the what's the first step usually in your buyer's journey? Right. So if you look at that process, what's already working, you want to do more of and start that as the process. So as you map out that journey and that step and figure out where your quote system is going to come in and how it can help leverage and add additional value to the sales process instead of being interruptive and trying to get right to the point too fast, whatever. So, you know, we, we actually had a, a client that we were working with that prints um, custom circuit boards out of Silicon Valley, and they went right for the throat. You went to the, to the custom quote page and they're like, how many do you want and what do you need? They're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We need to lower the bar here and first ask, what's your actual need? And then we took the next step and said, okay, well, are you looking for custom solutions or are you looking for this? You know, are you looking for X or Y? And then you guide that through and it doesn't have to be a 17 step process and you don't have to fill out like 17 questions, but you do have to enter four questions in order in order to get to that level. And we just think about it from a process standpoint, right? So you have to go for first in your marketing and your sales journey, you need to say, you know, the lowest possible bar that is going to engage people in the conversation and then ask them additional leading questions, right? Just listen to your best salespeople. You know, I keep coming back to that because that's what this is. If you build this right, your website is your best sales. And so that's our job is to replicate that process. I was okay. going to touch on this earlier, Sam, because you talked about you might have thousands of options, but there's really four questions you ask. Yeah. And I, as an example with people that I work with, I like to pick up things like this hydro flask and point out that no one ever walked into REI, picked up a hydro flask and said, how many stars do you give this? Right. Um, what they did is they said, oh, God, uh, I went rip rafting the other day and it was 105 degrees on the river and my iced tea was 104 degrees. <laughs> and likewise, the salesperson doesn't say when someone says I need a water bottle, they say, well, I give this 4.23 stars and here's my review. They say, I was on the river last week and I put some ice water, iced tea in here, and it was still 63 degrees at, at noon. If you're selling widgets, you're doing the same thing, to yep. Dave's point. You're asking, what what are you actually trying to do? What's your experience? And you're not going to ask them, well, do you want 1.3 ounce rolled steel with a tapered lip? Nobody cares yet. <laughs> Talk to them like they're a human being and make the digital system to match that. That's that's pretty much, I think, what we're all saying in the last hour. Okay, amazing. So we are at the top of the hour right now, and I want to make sure that we incorporate the closing comments, but we are going to keep it super brief. So in three words or less. <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, Dave, one sentence. <laughs> I, I posted a LinkedIn link on on the process that I keep talking about um, in the in the reactions today. So if you could check that out, that I think that would help progress the the questions that you need to ask. So that's that's my big ask for today. Okay, amazing. Damon, your closing comments? Well, I Dave reminded me when he's talked about the forum to shut my engineer brain off from many years ago and, and, and get simple. And I and I think the overall theme is just start somewhere. Yeah. Start somewhere. That's what you've got to do. All right, Steve, your closing comments. Human centered design. All right. Love it, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate your insight. This was a very powerful conversation, guys. Thank you very much for your time and insights. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show. 
for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Eric Landman, head over to earthlinginteractive.com. It's E-A-R-T-H-L-I-N-G-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V-E.com. If you want to learn more about Damon Pistolka, head over to exityourway.us. It's E-X-I-T-Y-O-U-R-W-A-Y.us. If you want to learn more about Dave Meyer, head over to busyweb.com. If you want to learn more about Steve Rice, head over to .comjungle.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Dave Meyer from Busy Web, who describes how marketing automation works and why that is important to understand customer journeys. Also, the interview with Kirk Thompson from Chief Outsiders, who discusses how team alignment may be necessary to align with your customer experience strategy. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.